So you guys, uh, I have a, a sort of silly question, but when when you're coming up with lots of ideas and you know you have stuff that you want to do later on, uh, things you want to remember to tackle, projects that you want to try, how do you keep track of that? How do you take notes? Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll jump in on that one. Um, first, uh, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't generally take notes. Um, I have, and this is kind of a sidestepping the answer to your question. I have, um, a, a limited amount of time of when I can do, uh, you know, anything that's related to building cameras or photography. So I, um, I, I tend to have more projects going, so I'll think of another one, and unless it is super compelling, I won't even start it. I won't make notes. I won't start it. I'll put it back in the memory bank, and if it emerges again, um, then uh, you know, then then I uh, I head to it. I had a I had a writing teacher once who was talking about how. He doesn't start a story until it has occurred to him at least three times. Mm-hmm. He said, because writing is so much work, I I need to, it, it needs to occur to me multiple times in order to, uh, in, in order for me to take the energy to tackle it. So, uh, so I'm really horrible on that point. Um Ethan, do you have uh, – where are you on uh, on your uh, – I am a copious note-taker. Yeah, yeah. so I, I might have talked about it in the podcast before, but I have a dream camera journal, which is actually like many, many uh, you know composition notebooks now where if I have an idea, I will write it down. I will – you know, generally when I, – I mean, I have about 50 – 50 things that I would like to do. I have about 10 things in um, development right now. You know, only two or three of those will come to market. Some will be utter failures, right? But um, just because of the way I work, I'll throw something on the printers. And then, you know, it might be a week before I really can test the tolerances of it. So I better come up with something better to do if I don't have contract work that week. And so um, at least, you know, so I have lists of things projects i would like to do that i'll put just anything in i'll have initial drawings of things that i've thought about and are sort of bugging me and i'll get more detailed drawings of mechanisms and interactions as i'm trying to work out how um, a certain camera might work and then um, eventually they go to cad files and get out of my dream camera journal but uh yeah i I love that thing I, i love keeping notes on it looking back um, it's particularly satisfying to, you know, finish a camera and then um, a couple months later, you know, look back and see what your initial thoughts, like what you got wrong and what you got right about the interactions and the shapes of the things. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm curious as to what that journal actually physically is. Um, like what, was, kind of, what kind of notebooks are you using? <laughs> yeah, so I usually... Um, Around back to school, Walmart will sell composition notebooks, you know, with the marble covers. For <laughs> that's exactly uh, what I use. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, yeah. if I'm if I'm feeling fancy, I'll buy one with like um, uh, graph paper on it. I like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, it really, really doesn't no, matter. This, like 
drawings are ugly. Well, I use the same thing, except that um, what I've developed is the system of using a whole bunch of those notebooks, and each one is specialized. So if I'm going to write notes about you know development, or if that would be a different notebook than about camera bodies, and a different notebook about uh, ideas for images I want to make. Sure. You know, so that way, when I want to look things up later, it's not linear. I can actually pull the relevant notebook. One notebook is just shutter speeds measured from my different lenses, uh -huh. cameras. You know, each thing is in a different book, and I'm trying to expand that now with a card file. So starting to put in <laughs> new, new ideas on index cards, and then over time, that card file will become organized with you know similar ideas in this underneath a tab um just as a way to be able to find things again as as you know and and it's sort of it really brings home graham's point which is that i spend a lot of time on the notes and i could have probably built a couple of cameras in the same amount of time but on the other hand i don't want to lose some of these ideas even if it occurs to me three or four times it still might get lost in the jumble of jungle of ridiculous ideas that I'm lugging around. So I, to me, the notes are important. I, and I, I guess might... here's another way to look at it. When I've made the same note three or four times, <laughs> then it's probably something to pursue. <laughs> I yeah, so well, that's... That you, um, instead of build a card file, uh, just buy a small scanner or get a scanning app for your phone if you're going to organize and, and cross-reference and... I mean, maybe you have a lot uh, you more know space what? than me. I have the same. I have a parallel universe of notes in the notes part of my phone, and I <laughs> yeah, just me assume, too. <laughs> I just as soon keep them separate in a way because I really like having the analog. Like to me, all the stuff in my computer is incredibly powerful and useful, but it isn't real. If it's on a piece of paper, I believe in it, and I write with a ballpoint pen on paper. Like that's then mm -hmm. it's real, right? That to me, that's just how it is. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something smarmy about the notes app that's in your on your phone. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I, I let me do a little bit of philosophy on this, because I think that this is kind of an important um, concept, um, because I am one of those people who really thinks that filtering through the brain is a good thing. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, if I were to, to write the notes down and build them as the notes are, um, are, are indicating, uh, I don't think it would be as good as if I spent that same amount of time letting the concept filter down through my, um, through my subconscious. Um, this is a this is a skill that I teach uh, or a method, I should say, a, a process that I teach my students when they're designing logos. And that is if if you have the time, this is uh, this is a uh, an ultra luxury type of time, because uh, if you're a designer in an agency, often um, you have 45 minutes. To you don't know. You're not, yeah, right. You can't yeah. always sleep on it, but sleep, you can't always on sleep on it. But yeah, so so what I tell tell my students is, um, if you can, don't don't sketch anything for 24 hours, um, and just think about it, and then 
sketch, um, you know, three or four concepts, uh, four or five concepts, um, then uh, another 24, let 24 hours go by, come back and sketch uh, another three or four, let three, a couple of hours go by, sketch three or four more. And then you start getting into, you see past what your original thought was. And when you can see past what your original thought is, then that's when you start getting pretty deep into the creativity. Um, so uh, that's that's part of the process that I I really um, I, I embrace. I I enjoy. I celebrate. So. That's built. That's built into my dream journal, though, because I'll come back to the same camera, and instead of going back and scribbling on top of an earlier drawing i'll start from scratch and use my memory and redesign it and you're right usually each iteration is more is better than the one before even if i'm not leafing back and looking to see what i did before because it's had time to you know my mind has had time to refine the idea or yeah. add new information or whatever yeah right yes but I, we, I, I, oh, go we ahead. talked about it before is like um, drawing. Oh, Hello. am I muted? Sorry, uh, I hear yeah, you, you now. You were uh, muted. Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, not sure where I cut out, but um, you said I, drawing. You were about to say drawing. Yeah, okay. So that's for me a big part of notebooks is the power of drawing using, yes. you know, making an image with a pen instead of uh, with a camera. <laughs> yeah, I I think. Um, my ability to think things out as they get more and more complex, right? So I have this camera now that's got 50 different pieces and each piece has, you know, six if not 25 different faces and each one of those faces has some mating surface that needs some tolerance and like at, at some point it just really requires good drawing skills, which I think I was um, bugging Nick about a few months back because I'm not good at drawing by hand. Um, but yeah, it, well, it's super drawing, helpful. I've, drawing by hand is a skill, um, yeah. you know, it, and it requires practice. And I've found that almost everyone can draw something they see. The problem is drawing something that they see in their heads. So right. the, the, I think you've got to something that's really interesting, which is a, I had this friend growing up who could draw any car, like, perfectly. But that's all he could draw. Yeah. And ah, yeah, it, yeah. At some point, I was living on a sailboat, and I realized I could draw sailboats, my mm -hmm. sailboat, perfectly. And and what it was was actually being able to see it in my head, you know, mm -hmm. to, to know what the proportions of things are from, like, a, a mechanical purpose sort of perspective mm -hmm. rather than, like, what does this thing look like? I mean, I, I feel like my memories are, are pictures and videos, but they're so blurry and once you get like really familiar with the thing, like I know a guy who paints horses, right? He's amazing at it, but he's spent a lot of time looking at horses, right? Like thinking about horses. Uh -huh. Yeah, and and the more physical the connection is, the better as well. So, um, so and I've talked about this before, but but learning to forge bend metal to a specific shape sure. makes creating the same shape with a pencil seem quite easy, and it's. There's this direct contact thing that happens. It's like 
you experience when you when you're literally making a curve out of a bar of metal you get really connected to exactly how the shape evolves and then it's not that hard to draw it it's 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 a, probably the same with camera building that you know once if you've built a camera enough times you're going to be able to draw that as well um, but what we're talking yeah, my drawings about, get better of the same camera right so there's an iterative thing as you as you pursue things like this but when you are drawing a new thing that hasn't existed before and you haven't made before it always opens up you know a new can of worms like you you've got to learn some more in order to do that yeah. and you have to do it as Graham says when you have to do it in your head um, it's harder but the more versions of what we're talking about you've done in the past the more you have something to build on so that person who could draw all the cars if he started looking at people's faces and trying to figure out which brand of car they were that might help right. them learn to draw faces <laughs> yeah. a little a little well, sooner <laughs> well part of the deal with drawing is drawing is a, a subset of seeing and i'm not talking about viewing i'm not talking about glancing i'm talking about a subset of seeing Right. And so what he could see was cars. He would look at cars for a long period of time. Now, part of one of the things that we do as humans is uh, it goes back to our evolutionary um, uh, quick recognition. Um, we need to quickly uh, um, see something and categorize it. Um, you know, the, uh, the, basic th uh, the basic thing is threat or... Uh, benign or beneficial, right? So we have those three broad categories. And so like if you come across, uh, come around a corner and you run into somebody, you look at their face and you're saying uh, friend, foe, or neutral, right? And you can categorize that in all sorts of, you know, uh, all sorts of ways. And, and it comes from uh, you know, the, the, the basic idea of how we, how we see the world and, and how we, um, uh, how we, uh, you shorthand, uh, I'm not, I'm not coming up with the right word here, but, uh, basically it's our prejudice. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, it speeds up decision-making. It's something that's called a right. rule of, a rule of thumb or heuristics. So these are yeah. shortcuts. And they right. uh, they have the advantage of giving you speed and the disadvantage of operating on the basis of prejudice. Right, right, exactly. So uh, so it's it's those things that go beyond that recognition. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my life it, it, it happens probably semi yearly. I'll say that where I'll look at somebody and I will realize that I have really never looked at that person. You know, like I'll look at that face and it is not the way it is in my brain. It is not the way that it is in my memory. And that's because I've just glanced. I've just, you know, that that type of thing. So um, now there um, when you are a an accomplished uh, drawer, you are an accomplished seer, um, you have taking the time to really look at something, um, you know, uh, like, for instance, I will bet you a good 80% of our audience would be able to draw a Leica M3 from yeah. straight on the front if uh, to a reasonable degree, okay? Yeah. 
Um, uh, well, and here's on, some, only assuming that they go to the Church of like, I mean, you know, otherwise. If you're listening to the show, you are a worship, you are a, a, a worshiper <laughs> at the Church of Laika. Um, uh, so here, here's something. Here, here's a perfect example that that I absolutely love. You can Google this, and you can um, Google uh, logos from memory, and you'll get um, you know 50 logos, uh, you know, the 50 Nike logos, 50 Adidas logos, 50 um, uh, Chevy logos, 50, you know, whatever logo drawn from memory. And you will see just an incredibly huge variety. And there's almost nothing that we see more in the world than logos. Um, so uh, it, it's it, it's I, I think Actually, very interesting process. you can avoid that problem. Uh-huh. Uh, the the, the logo not, thing. If you Google? if you if you live yeah. in a rural enough place and don't uh-huh. watch the kind of media that has those ads, then you can cut way down on the logo input. You can, but I'm gonna also say that no matter what, I, um, Nick, if you consider yourself in that category, you've probably seen 70 logos since you woke up. No, I haven't. You don't think so? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, Okay. It, you're right. We see them a lot, but there's a huge range. If you if you live okay. somewhere with with a billboard world or the um, if you're using the kind of apps that show you a lot of logos, then sure. But not. I mean, I see five logos sitting around me right now. Okay. So so uh, Nick, you. I literally looked... cannot see any logos in in the entire okay. room where I am. But what Nick, about the Skype logo at... on your screen? Well, uh, or here even better. I don't have a Skype logo on my screen. I don't. Nick. I, I Nick, just see your face. You looked at your ramp. phone today. You looked at your phone today, didn't you? Uh-huh. Your phone, the home screen has 28 logos on it. Oh, yeah, it does. I don't okay, usually so, spend any time there. But the lo- the nice thing about this phone is the logo's <laughs> on the back. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the logo's for all those apps. So that's that's my point. You have seen you saw those 28 logos without seeing them. Um, so well, anyway, that's true. Uh, that's true. OK, so uh, I'm going to uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about something that Ethan said, because it is um, uh, it is directly related to camera building. And that is you know, right now I'm building uh, a six by 12 uh, panoramic camera. I finally got the news cone to print after my um uh after my 3d printer decided to take a a little vacation um which was my fault by the way uh well it was also my fault (laughs) we took took a month to figure that one out and you finally figured it out yeah um and it was just uh, yeah just happenstance um but the uh okay so the deal uh um is i have a, okay, so this camera consists of a bunch of different parts. So the big main part is the body. It has a three, uh, four-part winder, and there are two of them. It has a part that goes in underneath the spool. It has a two parts um, for the door closing. It has a two-part door. It has a nose cone. It has a... Um, and on that, I've screwed on a store-bought uh, M65 helical, and then it, it has a lens board that I've had to 
had to build for that. So it has a bunch of parts. And right now I know that the part that is uh, the biggest, most important part, which is the body, did not print right. It's not quite wide enough for the film to roll through the film gate. It's just it kind of curls up the film. So for paper, it kind of curls it up. So that I'm going to have to change. But once you get a printed version, it is so it whatever is in error has to be um, it, it has to be a big enough error that you can't just kind of go, ah, I, I'm OK with it. It has to be big enough that you're going to reprint that whole part, which is like a 20 hour print. Um, and, um, it, it, once things get printed versioned, it is sometimes difficult to, uh, fix that version. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so for sure. <laughs> the, <more that laughs> the story you, of my life. The more that you can solve in the drawing, the better off you are. I can because, solve so little in the drawing. Yeah. 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 And 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 that's something that, um, you know, I mean, this is something that I should not have made an error on. It's the width of 120 uh, backing paper. That, that's something that's in, unforgivable. I I have calipers. I have rulers. I can measure that. And I made it too small. So. Uh, so anyway, but I'll, I will also tell you guys, I just uh, put the lens on for the first time and I have my. um my ground glass um, uh, focusing screen. First of all, I do get the full six by 12, no uh, cool. vignette cool. on it. And the other thing is it, it is uh, perfectly in focus at infinity at sure. the, you know, at, at the, the baseline. So well done. Your drafting skills have gone real. Like, <laughs> I mean, I have a bunch of your cameras from over the years, right. And they get uh -huh. slightly better, but like this one is um, now, I, I think this is like very big league design. I, I guess people can't really see at home, but it is um, complicated. Oh, it's got, yeah. you know, uh, mechanical move. It's, it's great. I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about this. Cool. Cool. I so I was going to, I was going to, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that you, you guys just mentioned the, the, um, that how you don't really work out your physical problems until you have a prototype that you're struggling with, but well, you still, if you're drafting, you're still figuring a lot of stuff out during the drawing phase that, right. you know, just the, where things are going to crash into each other and all that stuff. You get some of that figured out, um, at the drawing stage. And then, of course, there's always some corner you didn't look around that gets in your, <laughs> yeah. that you don't learn about till you have the prototype. But, but yeah. Yeah. And now I just have to print the print the back door. But I think I'm going to cut a piece of um, masonite and so, just set it in there for a back door to test it out this weekend. So, so. I know we've, we've been talking about, um, you know, where did this start? Not even drawing. It started at like keeping notes. I wonder if you do this. And yeah. this is something that I do is like, I will make a draft, print the things out, right? Maybe the last time I did it was 40, 50 pieces to be assembled. 
-hmm. at that point, nothing even fits together. Yeah, not nothing, but a lot of things don't fit together. And so the right. important part of my notes is that hey, I hey, will, Nick. Uh, Nick? Yeah. Can yeah. you hear me? I, I think <laughs> you're I, 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 yeah, you're you're kind of uh, eating in the in the space. <laughs> no, I, but I, actually, what I'm I'm operating a hula ho out in the alley, so I'm going to hit mute. Um, okay, yeah, hula ho, hula ho, you don't know. I don't know. I gotta, so we got to finish up uh, and get ready to leave today. So yeah, I'm yeah. just going to hit the mute. Wait a minute, where the heck is? Okay, it? that sounds good. All right, Graham, do you have this in notes? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think I, I'm at the point. I'm at the point. Let let them see the blemishes. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so, I'll, put so notes. I'll cut it out. While Nick is muted and hoeing his rock yard in the Tucson trailer <laughs> trailer park. Um, so okay. after I so, go to fit those pieces together, oh, okay. right? Yeah, start start it again. So okay. um, okay. yeah. There's no, time i might do some editing around here <laughs> i might leave this in lazy um so <coughs> when when i print the first set of things right then i'll go to try and fit things together and a lot of things won't fit and so i go back to the notes and i'll make like because i don't want to make one change um print everything out again over 80 hours try and right. fit it Making up, you know, I, I don't have time for single variable experiments. And so I'll keep a list of, um, like, um, engineering changes, right? So uh -huh. I might have, the last time I did it on the first version, there was five pages of notes, single spaced. Each one is like, you know, on this surface, increase the tolerance by this, move this part in this direction this far yeah. the radius of this you know and and then it might even be more serious like i've gotten a mechanism to work but it doesn't work and so it's like go back to redesign whatever anyway i will yeah. implement those changes printed out again and then i'll go back and generally there'll be at that point just sort of tolerance changes um sure but yeah it's it's iterative and it goes back and forth with um with notes yeah yeah um yeah i think that that's a really good use of notes um uh you know yeah and i could probably do one of those sets uh for this camera that i'm working on yeah. uh but right now right now i'm not finding too many gonna sit down and like draft a bunch of changes right because then mm -hmm. instead of like doing one and thinking about it doing another you just sort of just go down the list and bang them out right right exactly um yeah, I think that that is uh, that's a good way of working. Um, so, uh, what do you guys think? Uh, should we start the homemade camera podcast? Maybe. So what I've been up to is uh, my, my wife and I have been down at our little place outside Tucson for the last two weeks and going home tomorrow. But um, I've been, well, I've been doing plumbing, but uh, I've also been uh, running around the desert with the camera dactyl, uh, 
homunculus and a couple lenses and using it both as a on a tripod glass to get precise focus and also because it's so bright here it really you can just you can crank the shutter speed up and still stop down enough to easily uh, scale focus with it so also using it as a hand camera and i really like using it both ways it's kind of like my two favorite ways to shoot real casual walk around hiking thing or uh, when you want to concentrate and focus and really get it right then you, you that's when the tripod is an essential tool anyway and so you might as well uh, use the ground glass to focus and all that so it's been really good having uh, you know that as my medium format tool and I'm enjoying using it a lot um, and then also uh, using 35 millimeter camera couple different ones and just having a lot, lot of fun with that uh, and it's sort of well, got I gotta stop focused on a yep. couple different ones mm -hmm. is that you just glossing over the 25 emails and texts you sent about how awesome your Leica is well um, <laughs> <laughs> okay so so Graham gave me a Leica which is not we, we traded imagine I would have yeah. Well, after he gave it to me, I sent him as much stuff as I could think of um, until he said stop. So that's a trade, I guess. Um, and uh, and I I have found I, I got it uh, CLA'd. It, it had a little shutter speeds were off a little. Now it's all perfect. And it's yeah, I enjoy using it more than any other small camera I've ever used. It's all that stuff people say seems to be true, at least for me. Um, I really love the way a rangefinder uh, is to use, and that, this one works so so well compared to any I've ever used before. That it's certainly a pleasure. So that's become, yeah. And it turns out then that that you guys each sent me my two favorite cameras, the the homunculus and the Leica M5 are my two favorite cameras in the world, and that's because I just love the, the way they are to use. And with that uh, experience in mind, I'm sort of facing into my next camera builds and the challenge is to try and make them as fun to use uh, and so that's uh that's kind of how i've been thinking lately about, about all of this and it's also kind of hand in hand with my attempt to sell off stuff i don't use um i have too many cameras so i'm selling a bunch of them and those two processes are helping me focus on well what should camera builds be like because I do have a tendency to build whatever wild crazy idea comes into my head and that's fun but is it going to be useful <laughs> is it something I'm going to put on the shelf and you know after everyone's done laughing uh, or is it something I'll really use so I've been focused on that and then uh, the last thing I wanted to say about what I've been doing is that I just watched uh, a couple times Ethan's new video about his experiments with um, kind of instant photography producing a color print directly um, from you know from camera to finished print in a in a in a straight line without uh, having to without having to go to a lab or anything like that necessarily you just you need your own place to develop but other than that um, it's almost like instant photography with color prints and I'm we were really that. excited by that really excited <laughs> by that I want to do it and that's pushing me towards making my giant Afghan box camera wheelbarrow camera because that would be kind of killing two birds with one stone as opposed to having you know finishing setting up my temporary darkroom space which is a, a farther away target and maybe less interesting because you can't do instant film 
very far from your darkroom if it's, you know, bolted to the ground. Right. So, anyway, that's it for uh, what I've been up to. Okay. Oh, actually, there is one more thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, because I'm in Tucson, I always I always go to a, this fantastic. Oh, go to the hockey store. game. Uh, you go to the Old, hockey game. You go to the. No, you go no, to I didn't the, do that. Uh, the the Tucson Roadrunners hockey game. No, okay, no, so. no, no. I didn't do that. I went to <laughs> I went to Monument factory. Monument Camera, which is a oh, wonderful camera store that I really have always loved, and I always find an incredible bargain. Uh, some sort of lens or camera there that the owner is very generous in his pricing and. I've, I've never looked at a camera. Yeah. <laughs> that I so, wanna... so, right. So I found a, a Kodak Retina that is a fully functioning working camera and also a, um, uh, a Xenotar, a, a Schneider Kreuznach 80 millimeter Xenotar. It's a 2.8 lens. It's super fast, medium format wow. lens. And the shutter needs a little work and there's a ding on the filter ring. And so he let me have it for a really low price. But it's a it's a piece of glass I've always wanted. It's like my favorite focal length for that size film, and it's so fast and uh -huh. it's a beautiful lens. It's kind of the the perfect sweet spot. It's a little more advanced than the Tessars. It's got an extra element, uh, so it really does a better job than they do. But it's still an old-fashioned lens with some of that character of you know the older, simpler lenses. So it's it's great. Okay, so what I wanted to say about Monument Camera is the the owner wants to retire and he wants, he doesn't want to just sell it off. He wants a, a young person to take over his business, uh, which would mean renting the space and doing what he does, which is he gets huge lots of, you know, estates and old, old cameras and he cleans them up and resells them a lot of times on eBay, but he still has a storefront, a place for the local photography community, which I'll tell you in Tucson, it's a big community. It's always been one of the main kind of cultural things about this city is uh, photography and anyway it's a storefront and it's low rent i'm sure and it's a big space filled right now with old cameras and uh, be an amazing if someone a little younger wanted to get started or not even younger but just someone who wants to <laughs> keep playing with cameras for another decade or two it's the last camera store in tucson so someone should uh, see if they can buy them out and continue the tradition oh wow, yeah um God, that's tempting for me, but, uh, you know, I'm a, that, that's a long commute. Um, it, it, I live in an area that is a, a camera store desert. Um, so uh, I consider uh, ball camera, yeah, ball photo in um, Asheville to be my local <laughs> camera store. It's only eight hours away. So, uh, so, yeah, that would be good. I know what Ethan's thinking. Ethan's thinking, okay. Yes, I could buy it. And no. okay, anyway. No, I, I no. bought out. I mean, that's what I used to do: is buy out camera stores, just like my right? camera that went out of business. Have, In fact, I used to go to the Tucson. Um, there's like a old camera show and swap meet that I would go to every year, and I would always stop in at Monument Camera. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so much work, right? I, I would yeah. buy that store to liquidate it. Unfortunately, I would much rather see it. We don't want alive. you to buy that store then. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's and that's what he's interested in. He he can liquidate it himself. I mean, right. That's not exactly. a problem. What he would like to see is somebody keep the store alive. Um, yeah. And you know whether they follow his model of mostly working with old cameras, or whether they 
you know, branch out and maybe I, it occurs to me that, that some digital people, portrait studio, some people in Tucson should sort of go in together on it. Cause yes, it could have several different activities could happen there. And if, if people were taking turns, say that like a co-op of seven people took over, each person could sit there one day and they could sell cameras and clean cameras, but they could also do whatever their specialty is. So if someone could have a portrait studio operating out of there and there's plenty of space. Yeah. It makes sense to me space. to create a kind of a co-op situation. They, they could put in yeah. a dark room. There's all kinds of stuff you could do. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And actually, you actually know, whether you're if you're not in Tucson, uh, your camera desert out in the central Florida, you could certainly consider that kind of option too if you if you found a low rent place and a few partners have something that sort of fell between a business and a club yeah. and didn't take all your time that might be a fantastical yeah right now i'm on the board of a nonprofit, which is somewhat like a business club um it's it's the makerspace downtown and it is um i uh, being on the board is tough <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, so, yeah, don't... My there's a lot of responsibility to <laughs> run a business, right? But being in the club is is great. I love the club. Um, mm -hmm. I, I even love the board members, but the challenges are, are real, and they're not, you know, they don't pay anything, and people yeah. have lives, and so it's hard to get everything done. Um, it just sounds like the, my normal maybe the life. Business club, yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe the business <laughs> club of the camera store would make some money, but um, <clears throat> I'm going to well, go it doesn't real have, estate. It's, it doesn't necessarily have to, I guess, whether it makes money or not is one thing is if it answers a need for the people involved and sure. then it's worth it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But if it takes a ton of time, it's, it's got to produce money. Right. Because, because somebody has got to work the, you know, right. The days. Well, some people have the time and some people don't. Whatever, That's, true. You know. That's true. Okay. Okay. Okay, well, uh, I would love to be part of that, but it's uh, yeah. It's you guys should both retire to Tucson. To start yes, a absolutely, absolutely. That sounds good. Nah, what's our uh, what's our uh, IRA kind of uh, uh, or what kind of retirement plan do we have? Do we have? Do we get dental? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, yeah. There's a reason why I'm not a business owner. I'm not a businessman. Um, I don't have a head yeah, for business. Yeah, the retirement, right, the retirement plan is never retire. That's my retirement plan. Cool. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> um, Ethan, what have you been doing? Um, what have you been doing first? Okay. Well, uh, I've been, uh, trying to, uh, bang my, my head against, I almost went, um, if I would use the term uh going office space on a printer um you, you would know what i'm talking about <laughs> oh okay. yeah yeah i mean uh, i i personally know what you've been talking about for over a month right. we've been going back and forth trying to figure this thing out right so yeah. so here's, i'm glad you did not though you learned a yes, very important thing right, i, I exactly. did too without having to go through the pain so thank yeah, you yeah 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 um, but part of the part of the deal is uh the printer that i have which is an ender 3 made by creality um, it uses a 24 volt power supply. Um, and I have no idea why they chose a 24 volt power supply. Do you have, do you know, do you have any idea? Yeah, more, more power, more power. They, they okay. don't have to use as many amps to get as much. Okay. Heat. 
Okay. Uh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, um, so the it, it has a 24 volt uh, power supply, and um, it um, it I, I lost the the print head. The print head just kind of uh, I, it oozed and it burned out, and then it, and part of the deal was it burned out the heating element. So I ordered new heating elements and new thermistors and um and put it all back together and um it uh wouldn't print. It would it would print for about eight minutes and then it would clog. And I and every I mean I swapped out every component. Um I was thinking about, you know, uh reflashing the um the firmware uh i was i was looking into a bunch of stuff and then um ethan said hey what what you need is a pid auto tune and that auto uh, that basically sets up the specific print head the specific filament everything um for uh it 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 gives it a baseline uh essentially and so it goes through a heating and cooling cycle, a heating and cooling cycle, a heating and cooling cycle, and then it gives you numbers to put in. And that kept failing, and it kept failing uh, with a too hot um, notice uh, that there's that, that it, the end is too hot. And um, so I was looking through the errors, and and eventually I found out that I had bought not 24 volt. 40 watt heating elements i had bought 12 volt um 40 watt heating elements and um essentially it was uh the heating element was getting um too hot and so the power would be cut off and then it would get it would drop rapidly in temperature and it would get too cold to melt and that's when it would clog and um, and so I had these really widely varying temperatures, and whereas previously the temperature would stay, maybe it would go a degree up or a degree down, but it would stay essentially right. On. What were you saying there, Ethan? Oh, um, sorry, I just oh. got a junk text. Um, it, okay. That flickering of, of texture, or sorry, of texture, of temperature, uh, uh -huh. Led us to think it was other things like loose wires. I mean, you take right. the cover off, you looked at the plugs, which are all yep. glued in on the ender, which is impressive. I made yep. you take all of your connections off, which were fine, and solder them and buy a soldering yep. iron. Like yep. we, uh, <laughs> we, yeah, it was so stupid. <laughs> no, well, but yeah, and and the well, thing we learned was, something. Every every time I would start it up, and it would go great for ten minutes. Yeah. And then it would and then it would die. So so I've been part of the deal is that uh, we're, we're going to talk about the self-developing camera um, challenge that we have. We're going to talk about that coming up. And so this has complete this has set me a month back in that um, uh, in, in that endeavor. So so I have, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk about what we're going to do with that uh, going forward. But it, it, you know, essentially, uh, and the other part was I had a camera that was three quarters built. I needed yeah, to, I, I needed to, I needed to print a back door and a nose cone, and that's all I needed to do. 
and uh, everything else was ready to go, and I was ready to test it and all that type of stuff. So for a month, this has been sitting in a drawer. Oh, my God. It's been sitting in a drawer. That that drives me batty. So finally, um, I came across a little thing that suggested that, that I had the wrong um, heating element, and I was sure I didn't. I was sure I had the right heating element. But then I did a resistance test on it, and it it tested um, for a 12 volt 40 watt, and I needed a 24 volt 40 40 watt. So I quickly ordered the replacements. Um, that all worked. I I actually ordered an entirely new hot end, um, and I didn't reseat everything before I uh, before I. Uh, um, uh, set it to work. And so it started going great. And then it did a nesting. And for those of you who don't know what nesting is, um, with a 3d printer, what it does is there's a layer that loses, uh, adhesion to the layers below it. And so then for, I don't know, six or eight hours, it's just sending out filament and it's not actually attaching to anything. And so it builds this nest of this plastic filament, uh, which is uh, kind of frustrating and, and kind of horrible to clean up. So anyway, um, uh, so I finally did get everything ready, everything going. Um, and uh, and I am now back, back in the saddle. So uh, as I said, I still have to do a back door for this thing. But then I uh, um, I will um, uh, be able to, to I, I think I'm going to be able to test it with film this weekend. I'm going to build a back door out of Masonite or something. So we've been watching uh, a video that Ethan made, and um, it is uh, uh, the reversal process for paper, uh, and it is for color paper. Now, we've talked a lot about his black and white process before, but now we just um, just watched the video on, or I've just watched the video. Uh, you put it up, what, yesterday? Uh, yeah, one or two days ago, but yeah, a week okay, ago so by the time people are listening to this. It's on the Camera Dactyl uh, channel on YouTube, um, and we'll also have it in the show notes. And um, it is uh, it is all about how to how to go through the process. And there are a couple of things that that I noticed about. It. First of all, it's in color. Wow, I love that. Um. Second, there is a total darkness section of it that I think might have gotten glossed over a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's important to emphasize. Uh, but, but third, it looks simpler and the pictures look better than the black and white version. Uh, would you would you characterize it that way, having done it a bunch? Well, so I was cheating. I I finally used strobe lights to control for color temperature, which was really oh, important okay. process. And so I think I can get 
equally good results with strobe lights pretty easily uh, in the black and white process, and maybe I will test that out soon. I gotta oh, show so that. let me let me just but, jump in and get yeah. a clarification there. So what Graham just said is the very beginning of development is has to be in total darkness. So when you put the paper into black and white developer to make the initial uh, you know tones appear, that's total darkness. Then you turn the lights on, which is done on purpose in order to completely develop the other part of the image. To, to be precise, to completely fog the other part of the image, but yes, not yes, develop exactly. it yet. And that's convenient if you're making a video of the process, because now you can see to shoot video. Uh, yeah. But what you're talking about with the strobes, isn't that when you make the initial exposure? Okay, okay. So we're just talking about a couple different things. And in a second, I'll, I'll run through the process and the logic of the process as I know it, although it's like a more mechanical process than chemical process as, as I you know, at the level I understand it. Anyway, um, Graham was saying he thought the color paper positives are um, look a little nicer than the black and white paper positives. And I was just yes. saying that it's because I controlled the lighting completely in a studio for the color ones, I, and I, I didn't do that for black and white. I um, think but there I might be a second factor, which is, I think, probably, I, I'm just guessing, but I suspect that the color paper has a more subtle dynamic range. Yes, yes, absolutely. Through this process. Absolutely. It, it's, uh, it's got a softer footprint, and so the process doesn't, like, exaggerate contrast. However, you know, we have methods now of manipulating that aspect of uh, or that quality of the image, um, either by diluting first developers or pre-flashing paper. Um, and so I, I think... You can certainly get there, particularly if you're using strobe lights um, with that black and white paper. I think. I mean, maybe naturally, a, you're, you're certainly correct that it's right. You know. And you, and of course, the negative uh, situation or the the. Uh, so let's say you use a less contrasty lens that might help set things up. Sure, sure, different you know filters or whatever. Um, yeah. So. Um, I I guess like now would be a good time to if you want the quick version or medium quick version of this in five minutes and eleven uh, seconds is pause the podcast go look at the video come back or you can now listen to me try and explain it <laughs> without <laughs> pictures um, skip ahead two minutes in the podcast um, so the idea is you want a direct positive on color paper right and so um, you shoot a picture much like in the uh, black and white reversal process that will become a negative on the paper. Um, then you develop that negative in Dectol, uh, which is a black and white developer, and it turns, it creates a black and white paper negative. And th this has to be all done in the dark because the paper is um, sensitive to color light. And so the negative image does not come up in color. There's, there's no dye coupled to what develops, but um, it does come up in black and white. There's, you know, it's, it's um, done whatever Dectol does to the silver salts. Then you stop it so that no more development will occur um, once you've turned the lights on, right? Um, but, but stopping it doesn't desensitize the silver that's there. So you can expose uh, the positive part of the image that has not been developed, right? Expose everything now uh, to the light. And then, you know, rinse in between, but throw it in the color developer. And now the color developer 
can't react with the black and white negative uh, because the whatever Dectal has exhausted the ability to react of of the silver salts on all of those color layers, right? Um, and so the the color developer can't react with the negative image, but it can react with the positive image because you've exposed it to light, right, by fogging it. And so then you get a black and white negative mask um, as well as a color uh, positive image. And then you can Blix it, and Blix will still remove the black and white negative mask and preserve um, what is... Uh, preserve what is developed in color, um, and then you get a color positive. Um, it takes a lot of filtration for the method to work, right? Because you don't have an intermediary negative to positive phase in a larger or a contact printer where then you can change the color balance. You have to get it right on the first sheet of paper because that's all you have. And so- now, have you tried this outside? Um, yes. Is and do you still need color balancing outside? Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. Even more. Right, so what you're the, talking about, just let me jump in here because the people who didn't bother to watch the video, you're talking about filtering when you make the initial exposure. Correct. Um, that's and, where you have the high-tech $17 um, filter holder. Right. That's that right. Offer on the your, camera deck on your website. Yeah, it's yeah. just a piece of cardboard so, with a hole cut in the middle, sandwiches, yeah. some uh, rattan gel. And, then, and you're using more than one gel filter, or you yes. carefully pick the right so, one. No, so you're actually so, sandwiching it different gel filters. Exactly. Just like, you know, if you're making a color print in the dark room and you have a dichroic head and you can dial up uh, right. cyan, yellow, or magenta. But um, you're I doing it when you make the exposure. So yeah. you have to have a you have to experiment enough until you know in advance what set of filters you're going to need. Yeah, and so I've written it down. And, and like, people ask, what what is your filter pack? And I can tell them, but always with the caveat, like, the temperature of the uh, developer, developer, particularly yeah. the color developer, um, the type of paper, the batch of paper, and what it's, like, recommended filtration is all of those things will affect your color balance. So really like prepare to shoot five to 10 pictures when you first get started, just, you know, one after another with um, honing in on, on a good color balance while adding and subtracting Kodak uh, or any brand of like gel filter. Or, I mean, you could stack regular glass filters, but you'd have an awful thick stack of them. Um, and, one of the annoying parts is, you know, those filters are enough filtration that they're actually removing a good deal of light. So you have to compensate for exposure each time. I generally think the paper is about ISO 6 to 10 um, unfiltered. But by the time you filter it, you know, you're shooting as if you were at like ISO 1 to 2. Um, and it also depends on the color balance of the light because... Uh, it's not linearly sensitive, I don't think, between, you know, ultraviolet to infrared. Um, yeah, where was I going with that? Um, so just that, that you filtered the, you've taken care of color filtration when you made the exposure. Yeah. After and having I think, experimented to figure out the right filter combination. And I think and ultimately, it's interesting because you're reversing the order of, of, it's not just, you're not just doing reversal. You're reversing the order of steps that happen in normal color photography. 
Yeah, kind of. Or folding some of the back end onto the front end, if you, depending on how you think about it. Sure. Um, I think eventually I'll take um, make you know a couple filter packs. One for uh, daylight, one for tungsten slash fluorescent, one for um, strobe, and then make some sort of mount like internal to the camera dactyl body, um, so I can just walk around with it when I'm scale focusing. But right now, you know, I've, I've just been testing. I haven't been trying to take a photo that I love. Um, and so I've just been taping them onto the front with masking tape. Seems All like right. This is a great process for studio where you control everything. And, yeah. And have and a dark room <laughs> as, you, as you, and as you get experiment. Yeah. And as you get, uh, practiced with it, then you might be able to venture out and, and use your portable dark room to do it in remote locations and, you know, different kinds of lighting and all that. Yeah. That's, that's exactly my plan. Um, I think I'm also, I would like some extra time on this, uh, Afghan box camera challenge because I think I'm getting close to making something really cool, but there's zero chance I'm going to be able to get it done by November. Uh, <laughs> but you know, um, I think, I think, um, one for studio and two for Afghan box cameras you could potentially take i mean you could shoot these and develop them when you get home just as normal but they develop so quick i think it's going to be really fun as sort of like an instant type of camera maybe a really big instant type of camera but um yeah yeah so figuring out the kind of portable compact way to go because there are several trays involved how to like make that more streamlined would be really interesting because um yeah you could you could really use it the way they do in Afghanistan, where you did, uh, you know, traveling portrait work, which I think would be really, really fun. Uh, there's there's something just still as magic as can be about the instant process. People really react to it completely different way than you're than when you say, well, I'll get back to you in a few days with the picture. Yeah. You know, it just and, and even digitally, like giving someone your your website address is still not the same thing. You know, they're but yeah, they can go look at the then it's just another digital image in the, in the nauseating cloud sphere. But if you can actually pull out a print right there, it's completely different. I, I only, the only thing I'm not sure that we succeeded in doing is, is making a really like a short synopsis of, of what we just discussed. Yeah. Um, that, that that's actually, it, you know, I guess people need to go see the video, but um, yeah, and, and that's probably good enough, but uh, it really was, it really is, uh, a, to me, it's really exciting. I just am not right. all that thrilled with black and white instant. It's like, so what? You know, it just doesn't, for yeah. some reason, it doesn't do the same thing that, that color does. Well, it, it also was not actually producing what I would consider a very clear image. Um, well, I think I that's probably something you can get to, but I do think you have a big advantage with the color. There's something about the extra layers and the extra yeah. dynamic range that really helps. And the other deal with that is that um, <clears throat> there is a, it's again a bandwidth thing. It's like you've got more information, you've got a wider bandwidth of information when you add color as well. That right. really adds excitement to it. And then there's a final thing, which is just that I really love color work. And every time I read about the traditional color darkroom process, my, you know, my, I just, I just feel tired. <laughs> okay. So and this forces I'm, you to get through it fairly quickly and get right to the point yes. and you're not 
having to, you know, right. Okay. <laughs> so um, I did color work. Um, I, in my own dark room, this is uh, uh, 92, 93, 94, somewhere in there. Um, I spent I about... to 2002. Okay. Oh, well, I spent about a year um, trying, you know, with... And I did it with filters. I didn't have a color head. Ooh, that's uh, painful. Yeah, I did it with filters. And um, I really, really tried to print color. And it was, yeah, what was the word you just used? Painful. <laughs> no, no, painful. So, no, that's the wrong tool for the job. Also, did you have a color yeah. processor or were you doing it in trays? I was not doing it in trays. I was doing it in um, cylinders. Like a, uh, a rotary cylinder? A rotary cylinder, oh. and I would roll them by hand. And did you uh, temperature yeah, that's roll class, the bath classic rolled them in? That's classic 1970s, right. Oh, say that again, uh, Ethan? Did you, control, did you roll them in a temperature-controlled bath? No. Oh, yeah. There, that is one of your problems, and the other is not having a dichroic enlarger. The other... Problem is probably not having a densitometer and or a color meter if you didn't have at least a dichroic enlarger. I mean, that shit was expensive back in 98, but it was super expensive in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, I had access to a little bit yeah, better so technology than you, and it was, I could hand print, you know, perfect color balanced and contrast uh -huh. images every time. And it was not like... Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was just a matter of, I think, by the time we got in, so like color at home, real processors probably were brand new on the market in like the very late eighties, maybe early nineties. Yeah. And so you probably could not have even bought them used. And we were buying like used and broken and building, um, like uh -huh. Ujimoto's and Jobo's and things. Um, ah, yeah, that's the conclusion. Crap. I, the conclusion. I... Oh, sorry. Uh, my, uh, my window. Oh no, my window does show. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I'm just uh, so testing I, my, as we go. So go what ahead. I came up with was that realization that, that what Ethan just said is correct. If you really want to do home color work, you, you want the, the high tech end of, you know, end well, of you don't, stuff. you don't even need super high tech stuff now, right? All well, of those tools. Okay. It looks high tech. tech. It looks high tech to me because all yeah. I ever knew about back in the day when I looked at it was, you know, messing with filters and, Okay, but but the the main thing that Graham didn't have, right? That temperature maybe control. You know, well, yeah. uh, forget temperature control. You can buy like a twenty dollar pet store unit now, and it'll do just fine, you know. Right, uh, but, analyzer. But it was a dichroic yeah. head is the big one. Is to be able to yeah. variably adjust uh, the filtration is yeah. Uh, well, I important. mean. Because, uh, you know, okay, when you're black and white and you're doing those, um, what you're controlling is the contrast, right? The contrast and the exposure for yep. each one of the areas. So, um, you know, so you burn and dodge and you do all that type of shit. Well, adding in the three color or, well, you, uh, the way I read to do it. And that's the other thing is I read to do it. Yeah. I, I, I did internet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, right. So, so I read how to do it, and um, what we, what we, 
it's just it was too many axes. Oh, though. Oh, what I was saying too is that you have variables. the two axes. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, you have the the exposure. You have the contrast. You have uh, and you adjust two colors. You don't. You know. So you adjust yeah. your. Uh, uh, um, oh God, I don't even remember. Cyan is that? Yeah. So you do. Uh, you know, like cyan and magenta, and you would leave yellow stable. Um, you know, which, which makes total sense. Otherwise you're fighting against yourself, you know? Um, but the, um, that just, it was too many, it was too much for my brain. My brain just didn't work in that many, uh, in that many little air in that many areas, you know, it needed. um, Yeah. I mean, maybe mine didn't either if I had to understand it from a book, but by the time I came around, there was like photo.net and you could ask questions and, Somebody who ran a damn photo lab would answer, you know. There's yeah. also the there's also that were you using a color analyzer? Yeah, that was that was really so, helpful. Oh, yeah. So then you, you can start with a lot fewer variables if, if you get so a lot of it figured out. I joined the doing that. I joined the dark room at uh, in college for like a semester, just like as a as a student, but not taking a class. And they had a color dark room. And they did not have color analyzers. And so, you know, because I was shooting the same film stock or two, and I was usually shooting outdoors, I would just, um, back then, that that is not a totally necessary part, right? So the dichroic head is necessary, um, and the color or temperature control is necessary. But um, the analyzer, you know, you can make a test strip, or, or you can, um, you know, just write down some settings for that box of paper uh, right, daylight with that, that, paper. that film and that uh, setting. Right. So what close. I wanted to get yeah. to with all of this, now that we've sort of you know gone over how complicated and technologically demanding it might be to do home color printing the proper way, the beauty of this method that Ethan is developing is that because you do, there are, there just are fewer technological steps involved and there are fewer media involved. You're not working with film and paper. You're just using the paper. So you've simplified the process to the point where you can really just get have it be fun. And that's sort of what was great about Polaroid was that you just pushed a button and you got a great color print. And this is a lot closer to that than the full scale process of you know exposing film and then going in through this uh, process in the lab. It just seems the simple, the slight simplification seems like it makes it much more attractive for do-it-yourself. Yeah, and and part of why I want to extend the Afghan box camera challenge is I would like to make some more cameras and maybe modules or, or devices that make using this process easier. Okay, as you guys have been hearing, we've been talking about um, the self-developing cameras, the the Afghan box camera um, concept. You know, um, we are uh, we had set a deadline for uh, uh, U.S. Thanksgiving, and uh, it's, uh, it it appears that we are not going to make it ourselves. 
So we are going to send it back. How how late? How far back do you think uh, we should uh, set that uh, deadline? Realistically, I'd like to travel back, like to, travel back to 1968. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I'd like to go back to 1868. <laughs> oh man, I want to go to 2068. And uh, oh, everything would be digital. <laughs> yeah, but in 1868 we could be wizards. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's, that's true, right. and then, and we could be burned at the stake. Yeah, it would be good. Yeah. That's yeah, true. There we go. I, I guess they were more into hanging then, but you know. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, you know, Gutenberg. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't Gutenberg because Gutenberg lost control of his um, of his uh, workshop uh, because he borrowed money. And uh, when he took uh, when the guy, the banker who took over the project and Gutenberg's assistant, when they had um, the first set of Bibles ready, they took them to Paris to be sold. And when they uh, took them to Paris, they they sold two Bibles to um, uh, a couple of couple of guys and uh, one of them said, hey, I bought a new Bible. Come over to my house. Check it out. And the other guy says, wow, that looks exactly like my Bible. Um, uh, and then they got the two Bibles together and every one of the pages was identical. And so, of course, their immediate thought was witchcraft, because, of course, the devil wants to make Bibles. You know, I mean, that's apparently the where you would want to I mean, uh, right. employ witchcraft. So, well, okay. Um, so, can we? <laughs> so, let, let me finish the story. It's really quick. So they, uh, so they were brought up on heresy charges, and they said, "No, wait. We've got this machine. It's called a printing press, and we can uh, print things." And that was how the secret of the printing press came out, because uh, Gutenberg kept it secret because he was a con man and uh, making fraudulent uh, materials uh, called Bibles. So. Oh. Anyway, excellent. I would love to be a fraudulent Bible salesman. (laughs) (laughs) You fraudulent Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. um, uh, So anyway, we are going to delay it. Uh, So how long how long do you think it would be reasonable for us to do that? Uh, When do you when do you think we should set our new deadline? Well, the sun won't even return to my part of the world until maybe in January sometime. Okay. So you guys want to set it for March 1st? Sounds good. I mean, while we're there, we might as well do it April 1st. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What, for April Fool's Day? Or or um, let's do their... uh, (laughs) Yeah, should we... Yeah, no, let's do that. Just put it off into the future. But putting it off into the future... You know, here, here is one of my issues with... Um, being on the podcast is that I have way more talking time than I have actually presenting new things that I'm doing. Time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not only that, but the talking time cuts into the doing time. It's true. It's true. You know, but I'm uh, finding that it, it pays back in, in giving me encouragement and, and new ideas. So I, I don't know. I oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a good investment. But I do want to uh, say that it doesn't matter if we set it for April 1st. Okay. And, and we get some stuff done sooner. We can report on it sooner. It doesn't matter. All right. Well, why don't we do this? Can we put up a submission section on our website starting yep. November 
uh, going until probably forever, but let's just say until April Fools, um, uh-huh. we'll collect uh, you know pictures. I don't maybe, maybe we make like a you know PDF or or a gallery of what people are working on or or some way of you know sharing. I, there's already people making them. I made one little one that's you know not so impressive, but I I would like to make some more. And it's the whole thing like. This is why I started on the whole direct positive research and, you know, working out that black and white process and, exactly. and now this color one. And so it has led to a lot of things, but it, it has not yet led to the thing that I, yeah, two, three, three uh, you just, videos. We, we still need product. to build the, we still yeah. need to build the portable version. And, and if you build a website form, we will also get our next zine out of this process. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how yeah. many people are actually going to do it. That That's a real, I'm really curious, right? Are we going to have 10 people building these things? Uh, seems really. Well, actually, there's several already. There's several already. Many, many people have done yeah. the very simple pinhole black and white version, but that's a great version. And they've taken several different forms. Uh, but even if this thing ends up just being a couple of box cameras, and also there's some pre-existing box cameras. So, um. Sendeha Lynch has already made one some time ago, uh, uh-huh. so we could probably just get you know, put that one in. I mean, what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter if it's a big print zine; it it, it will be a, a coherent collection of what people have done in this area that will could at least be an in, uh, published as a digital in a digital format. Hey, anyway. hey, okay. Graham, can you uh, would you do the uh, web form on on the yeah. site? Yeah. I've actually uh, I actually started it this morning, oh, so awesome. uh, uh, so I've got that up and it's and it's ready to be to be. I will, uh, I will kick it off and submit um, some of the stuff that I've been working on, you know, but, but uh-huh. to be my final <laughs> entry. Right, right. Well, we and can actually, have. I, I'm often that. just as interested in the process that people got to their result as I am in the finished result. So this is yeah. an excellent way to proceed. And the fact that your forms are really ingenious because then it allows us to farm some of the work of assembling coherent thoughts to other people. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, right. they're, exactly. you know, each, each person's contributing their own process and whether it led to a finished, you know, brilliant piece of camera engineering or not, it's going to add to the kind of group knowledge. So it's good. Right. Right. I'm, I'm with you totally on that. Uh, so, yes, we will have a form up by the time this episode is live. So it will uh, uh, we'll call it the um, uh, self-developing. Um, so uh, we'll 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 uh, we'll put it up on the website as a page called self developing. What about so, camera Minotero? Yes, we could also call it that. But nobody would know what it was, so let's just do self-developing. Self-developing okay. is a generic, you know. For our Latin American uh, listeners. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, so anyway, um, so let's yeah. So uh, let me let me talk. I, I want to talk about where you know. First of all, I described earlier on um, my delays. My delays having to do with my method of production. Um, but also the other problem that I had, um, was, I, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to just take a developing tank 
and, uh, you know, drill a hole in the side of it. And then I'm going to, um, uh, you know, uh, just do it that way and put in, put in a four by five or a five by seven, whatever size paper would work. And so I, uh, I had some developing tanks at work. So I, you know, brought one home and I kind of had that, um, uh, the stare down that many students have had with the um, with the frog, you know, that the, the frog stare down where, you know, hey, I've got to kill this frog, but I don't want to kill the frog. So I'm yeah. not going to kill the frog. So I'm going to look at the frog for a long time and then, you know, and see if I can come to terms with killing. And that so that's what I did. So I couldn't come uh-huh. to terms with with taking a perfectly good developing tank and um modifying it for this purpose uh and uh so i have not made my advancement uh the way i had really hoped i could make my advancement on that um so i'm going to have to purpose build and i think i have i think i have some some ideas for purpose building that will allow uh yeah i mean i think the canamorph is almost there yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I did um, uh, talking, you know, we, we uh, I did put on Instagram and I think I have it also on Flickr. I do have a picture from the eight by 10 Canamorph up. Um, oh. So that that is. Um, when did you put uh, that I, up? I don't think I saw it. Um, uh, I think it was when you were in um, Spain. Spain. Yeah. So it was, um, I don't know, uh, two weeks ago, probably something like that. But you can look back. Um, it's on there. I haven't put up a whole bunch of other stuff in the meantime. So um, so that's all. Well, I, <clears throat> you just gave me a great idea. I just picked up uh, at Monument Camera a couple of uh, the 4x5 film development tanks where you dip in a stainless frame. And so it's a big kind of rectangular developing tank with a with a removable top and i actually already have frames so i can use this to build four by five but i picked up two of them and you could also hang the film at one end and stick a lens on the other end and it would shoot four by five that's a really interesting idea yeah so um yeah that definitely uh, could be done well, it just it's ready made. I like ready made stuff. I know you guys would just print this thing out, but um, it's already. No, there's uh, nothing. There's nothing. One day, Nick, you're going to get into printers. Yeah. Oh, eventually. Yeah. Eventually. But, but you still might make things out of wood. <laughs> but you'll well, be printing yes. the jigs. Yeah. yeah. Or I like always like combining materials anyway. So to me, it makes sense to be able to print things where you need a specific, precise, repeatable thing, and then use other materials where they seem more appealing. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on some uh, half laser cut, half 3D printed designs, or not by weight, but yeah, mixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think with your bigger size of it. Yeah, make exactly. It buried in uh, two hours into this podcast um there's something i've been thinking about and haven't been talking about publicly and i I don't consider this necessarily like public 
<laughs> this podcast, we have, you know, a couple hundred people who listen, but I, I would be curious as to what they think about it and mostly what you guys think about it. I think one way or another, I'm going to try it um, and see if it works. I, I'm not sure that it will work. I'm trying it because I'm curious and I don't have much to lose. Which is like, so I went to Spain for three weeks and all of these orders piled up and I'm just finishing now a couple like uh, camera cameras to put out that I made a, you know, upgraded redesign of their nose guns. So it took me an extra week to do that. But, um, you know, I'm just finishing now all the orders and I've got all of these other orders that backed up while I was finishing those orders. I'm just, you know, a victim of my extremely mild success. And... <laughs> um, for me to, I mean, I, I've had extremely little time uh, to actually develop new prototypes of things that I want to work on. Um, this 8x10 camera has been sitting there for a while. Like, I, I just spent a lot of time trimming parts and, and building things. And it's not yet a booming enough business that I would uh, hire somebody to do that sort of work. And so what I was thinking is maybe, so I, I have this new panoramic camera, right? And it's pretty much ready. Um, and I, it takes like eight hours to make. And it, because of that, you know, well, eight hours to assemble <laughs> and then like, uh, you know, 80 hours wow. or to print or what it is that it, it, it's annoying to put together. Right. And it would take a lot of time. Um, especially for me doing, let's say, 10 or 100 of them back to back. That could be 100 days if I'm successful. And um, I'd, rather, <laughs> I'd rather come up with new things, um, maybe print 5 or 10 of them or maybe 15. But, but you know, um, also what I would have to charge for a day of my time if I'm going to devote 100 days to this is kind of, ludicrous right it would have to be a very expensive camera in which case maybe only 10 people would buy it for a thousand dollars or whatever but um right uh, like i i i don't i don't like that i don't want to sell super expensive cameras that like only only people with uh crazy money to burn on a thousand dollar plastic camera would have it i want to make something that you know a lot of people will use and really enjoy and you could make this camera for, I don't know, under $200 all in if you don't own a 3D printer and maybe uh, 45 or 50 bucks before a lens with if you do own a 3D printer. And, you know, like, it seems like something that a lot of people would be into. There aren't that many X-Pan alternatives. There aren't that many, you know, fully mechanical X-Pan alternatives. Um and for somebody to take a weekend to build this thing or a, or a day if they're quick um, is doesn't seem, I mean, it seems like it would be fun. It, actually, I know it is fun, right? I've spent a month working on uh, this thing or two months uh, and another couple of months testing, you know. Uh, but I think for somebody to spend a weekend doing it would be fun, whereas me doing a hundred weekends <laughs> putting them together would be not fun. Um, and so what, what I think I'm going to do, so um, I don't know that it will work, but I will just try and hold the plans hostage on Kickstarter and say like, if um, you know, I make 10 grand or 
20 grand or whatever. I'm thinking 12 is a very low number for three months worth of work, but it's okay as like a proof of concept. I will give the world a little bit of a deal and it may a deal. Uh-huh. I, would, I would like 12 grand. Um, then I would release the files to the people on Kickstarter um, three or four months earlier than the general public. And, you know, even if you donate a dollar on Kickstarter, you get it four months earlier than everybody else, right? Um, but I eventually would give it to everybody else. And then I would make three YouTube videos, like one, um, how to print and slice all of the pieces, uh, two, how to trim, assemble, and calibrate the camera, uh, and three, how to use the camera. Um, and I think, yeah, it could be uh, like a really... You know, I, I think there's, I saw some YouTube video on alternatives to the X-Pan and they're all, you know, pretty expensive, all the good ones. And um, so, so this model reminds me of a friend of mine who's a, a traditional wooden boat builder. And he used to teach a class where everyone would pay to go spend a week learning how to build boats with him. And uh-huh. then somehow they had like a raffle and one person would get to take the half finished boat home <laughs> with them at the end of the workshop, which was, a, I don't remember how they did that part or maybe uh-huh. someone paid extra for it or whatever, but you ended up with, you know, a pretty amazing piece of work that, you know, six or seven people had spent a week starting for you. So it's sort of like that idea. In other words, you're teaching, you're, you're selling knowledge and plans, right? Is that, is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, I mean, so I, I have like a strong feeling that knowledge wants to be free, you know, information wants to be free, and and it's, I feel weird selling knowledge, but but yeah, ultimately, um, I think, you know, I, I was yeah, watching but, it. But that's, but hold on, and that's what teaching is, and teachers need to get paid. So this idea, sure. uh, it's kind of like the conflict of interest with the the publishing industry it's like yeah sure everything should be free but then how do the practitioners make a living how they feed themselves well how does it get generated i mean what what's the incentive to generate something if it's going to be made free by somebody else yeah so i mean this this whole kickstarter idea makes me feel a little bit better about it because you know basically it would be pay what you want and even if somebody sent me a dollar i would still send them the files like that you know, in that early batch. And it's, uh-huh. it's just a, like a good way of figuring out um, if you have a product that you've put three months worth of work into, um, you know, is there enough goodwill out there to support a product like this? Or is there right? Not, right? And if there's not, it, like, no hard feelings, I appreciate it. But, you know, if there's only $300 in it, I think, then I'm sort of forced to spend 100 days printing these damn things at $600 or whatever, you know? Right. Like it, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You yeah, don't yeah, want to yeah. be, no, that, that makes sense. You don't, then that's sort of the point of 3d printers really. I mean, they don't replace a fantastic machine shop. What they do is they're supposed to democratize the, you know, the process of making things. Right. And, and that really is about doing it, doing it yourself. You know, Yeah. Uh, most, most people, that's how, I mean, that was the idea. So there's, you know, there's, the idea that you could make create the thing at home uh, is part of the whole point of it. This is a pretty complicated one to start with. Um, yeah. So you're kind of raising the stakes for your first version yeah. pretty high. But, um, but so that's kind of where I was thinking is like, ultimately, um, it's got to be something medium impressive because there are a lot of open source projects for a lot of 
things, but um, mine just happens to be one that you could make very cheaply um, right. and works pretty well. Um, and yeah, I mean, the the how to build and assemble video might be real time, like legit six hours long. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the but people are not just learning how to make this camera either. They're learning kind of the whole the whole kind of camera dash sure, approach to creating work. things. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't want to give it all away, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, I do. Right. Ultimately, if I could get paid to, you know. Um, design a camera, uh, make a couple prototype versions, make a couple final production versions, and instead of forever being tied to these damn printers printing people's orders, um, you know, then I would just give out the knowledge of how to do it, and people could do it themselves. Or and and then maybe I would not feel uh, so bad charging, um, you know, higher prices for stuff on cameradactyl.com because it's you know, it's um, it's easier to value my time uh, if people are allowed to do it themselves with their own time. <laughs> right. You know? uh, right. There's and, and I think there's something for that. So you would sell it in three different states. You would sell it in the um, STL, the, the files state. You would sell it in a printed state, but not an assembled state. And you would sell a fully assembled one. So there are three oh, tiers of purchasing. No. Well, so, but, yeah. but think yep. about, Graham, think about when you've done some production on your printer, that yeah. second step of selling a printed, but not assembled thing. Like unless uh -huh. I build, you know, I, I'm one of the great things about the 3d printers is that I don't have any specialized tooling or I try to minimize that, but unless uh -huh. I build, jig to test each individual piece so we're talking oh. about 50 test jigs and fixtures around my shop oh. right I fill my shop with this i basically would have to build and assemble all of those cameras to check all that all of the part there's always going to be like a reprint unless camera unless yeah 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 um yeah i mean yeah we testing we've and checking the that. parts is is very expensive right time expensive um which yeah. i can do and i do do when i build cameras for people but it's so so how yeah. about if you, yeah. how about if you don't uh how about right. if you don't um check all those parts and that is part of the video um so i mean you're still doing some production well, um, no, no, yeah so the the, well, the video yeah you just would have to be mailing out replacement replacement parts and not really yeah. knowing if the person yeah there's a lot of back about yeah, yeah, I don't know. Of, yeah it's a lot of work um, it's extra stuff. Yeah. Well, there is a design way around this, though, which is for not for this camera, but for some other camera, you could build something more modular um, where there, the, the fixed adjustments are, are also do-it-yourself. In other words, you know, the kind of bolt-together sandwich designs where if something's a little off, someone can just throw in a shim or whatever. Um, yeah. So, so for some designs, that model would be more appropriate uh -huh. than for this design because this is so complicated, it has so many parts that all have to work together. Yeah. yeah. I completely understand why Ethan doesn't want the 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 B level on this one, but on some other design um, that was kind of more of a simple press camera in in pieces, mm -hmm. it might be practical. Um, yeah. So, I do but, that middle but, version. Yeah. Okay. Ultimately, I think 
for this to work, right? It really depends on people's altruism and goodwill towards something that ultimately, you know, I'm not feeding the world, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm making toys. Um, and, and because of that, I think, you know, you have to, like, I, I would want to tell as uh, fun a story as possible. And that sort of hinges on making as um, maybe not complicated, but, but sort of as good pieces of photographic equipment as possible, right? As impressive. And so uh-huh. um, I, I had this idea vaguely occurred to me when I uh, started selling the folding four by five way back last year. Uh, and the thing is people didn't know me. They didn't have my cameras in hand. They weren't out there. I hadn't been running a business for a whole year doing it, right? Maybe a year and a half now. And, um, I think people kind of like, they know what my cameras are. A lot more people would know what they are. Um, if, you know, um, if people started printing them all over, but, um, yeah. Okay. So, so, I mean, you've got, um, Oh, let me uh, let me talk about uh, an experience I just had. Uh, I live in an area where the major Publix or the major uh, grocery store is called Publix. And my particular Publix was just refitted and they put in um, self-checkout. They put in a self-checkout area. So um, there's a they have. Uh, different companies have different variations on this thing, but um, if you if you put in a uh, okay, so you're buying a a two liter of diet coke, you scan it, and then you put it in the bagging area. Well, the bagging area weighs that to make sure that you're actually scanning a diet coke and you're not scanning something else. Okay. So so it has this this um, uh, check system that is. Um, that that checks the weight well it's a crappy one and a lot of the things are off and then you have to come over and then the 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 attendant for the four or eight checkouts whatever it is has to come over and swipe their card and do all this type of thing they Publix has not gotten the essential concept of this interaction and the essential concept of the interaction is hey we are going to let you check out it is going to be an honor code checkout. We're going to have people watching. So, you know, I mean, you're not going to be able to take, you know, scan one thing and take your whole grocery cart out. with uh-huh. you. But but if you really want to game the system, it's not hard. Uh-huh. OK, it won't be hard to game the system. So um, the problem is that so you, the idea is. Publix has this advantage of they don't have to pay for checkout people and for bagging people because you've just taken their jobs, right? Right. You've you've taken their jobs. People just need to steal less than that for it to make right. sense for Publix. Exactly. Exactly. So there's that there's that trade-off of, of stealing it. So what you need for your model, because you know somebody is gonna give away the files that you send to them, right? Yeah. It just has to be enough honest people that you 
are making enough money that you can yeah. continue the flow. And if there's an incentive for those people, because somebody's going to give them away because they don't just don't care. They think you're stupid, right? They think you're stupid for allowing them to steal from you. So they're going to just steal no, from mean, you. I mean, like, ultimately, ultimately, I'm not mad at those people. I, uh, they're contributing to, you know, like, it. It, it, I don't really have like a mark on oh, history, right? No, no. But, well, but to whatever no, extent I do, it's that people will use these files, right? Like, will people yeah. will have this knowledge? And so, like, the guy who's stealing it to distribute it, like, maybe, maybe he's ultimately doing me a favor, right? Uh, uh, I mean, with I, how do, how is he doing you a favor? Let me uh, uh, because he has a camera that somebody else sees and. Yeah, because he has the file and is distributing yeah. it to others and ultimately yeah. like doing some marketing for me, right? Even if just having it on a server, um, helping to preserve it um, by diversified storage, you know, across yeah. networks. The, sure. I think there's also, you know, there you, you want to be uh, copied, right? Like Canon and Nikon are ultimately, you know, uh, copying competitors. Like, yeah, that... Uh, I I am not like I don't know how much I should be open about it, but I'm not yeah. super uh, offended by people stealing uh, that sort of thing, right? I know it's going to okay. happen, right? The question is, right? Um, yeah, would it make sense? And so I think the Kickstarter thing might allow me to test one model to see, like, yeah, one yeah. like are there enough people who are interested in such a thing and two enough people who are willing to give me five or 10 yeah. bucks for the set of files that it took three months to create if they make a camera, right? It's still the cheapest uh, X pan out there. But um, then if that proves out, but, maybe. Also, this is, this is, this is also something that some giant corporation is not going to steal and produce thousands of, no, you know, it, no. it's, the, it, yeah. it's not that kind of a product because <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, limited market in the first place. And if you have to assemble it yourself yeah. and lazy yeah. people aren't going to be that interested. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. No, no, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, I, I think, mean, so if they're lazy and rich people, I'll still build them a camera. Right. But, yeah. but it's going to be like 600 to a thousand dollars at least, uh, right. which I don't think right. is a reasonable price for a tool that does a job that, you know, you could probably, I don't know, even for a thousand bucks, it's hard to come up with an alternative to the X-Pan. Right. <laughs> but, you know, right. for this quality of tool, usually you don't, you can get a much better quality tool for a thousand bucks than my plastic camera. But um, right. I'm sure. And then, there's, there, and then there's my $40 conversion kit yeah. that I got. From yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's like all these other ways to get there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And ultimately, like if you're willing to do the work, I think my camera would be nicer than a Mercury camera for its purpose, right? Uh, if you printed it out for forty-five bucks, but it's going to cost you. Well, a weekend. No, no. Yeah. So all I'm getting, all I'm getting, is a kit to convert a roll film back. Right. Oh, I, so I, you I, still need the whole right. rest of the camera. Um, but that, but that roll film back, which I now have, works on a, half of my cameras, including ones you've made. So yeah, it's super useful, and it's another way to skin the cat. Um, uh, your device, is your device is is a is it's all about that simple film advance and being yeah, able to change exactly. roles in the field without a dark bag, and that's a convenience that's uh, really great in use. I mean, Some who doesn't carry around a dark bag these days? 
Exactly, but um, <laughs> but for See, lots and lots of other people, that was what I was going to say. It, it, is other... Ethan's rewinds? <laughs> yeah, know? right. So that's worth a right. thousand bucks right there. No, <laughs> <laughs> but it might be worth a couple hundred. So I think that the do-it-yourself market yeah. is really the one. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I okay. think that there's another side of this, which is that there there could be a hybrid here. Like in the end, you're going to find out that maybe people are going to do it yourself print, you know, 60% of the camera and then buy some parts from you. So like there's sure in the long run, you might end up with a hybrid version of this or people will buy a few standard parts from you and yeah, there are one or two objects for the laser I mean, yeah, right. parts and one or two pen springs. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Or or maybe you create a graph lock version of this where you're not selling the whole camera, you're just selling the, the film and uh, transport me mechanism, you know. Right. I think, it, uh, uh, yeah, um, I I am very interested to see what your success would be on that, yeah. because I, I would so, see that I would see so, that as a as a model for my own stuff as well. Because uh, yeah. and yeah, even and I've had discussion, um, you know, is, is that, um, you know, I have a bunch of Holga masks that are produced. Um, they're waiting for a manual and they're waiting for me to get off my rear end and put them on Etsy. Yeah, and this, it's just this... like I don't have any motivation to do that because, I mean, uh, I have a money, monetary motivation. I've already printed them and, and you know, I've got a stock. But it's like, ah, I don't want to do that. You know, that's not where I want my energies to go. And I and, think that that's what you're saying, too. Right. Yeah. And in fact, we talked about making them and I was like, uh, let's, I, I don't want to say no. And I would do want to help you out. And I think I can produce Holga masks. They're not terrible. But like also this, this is what I was working on formulating at the time and was not super articulate about which <laughs> is that yeah, I, I think yeah, yeah. maybe the business model should be different and you know so should kickstarter work out maybe i would try in the future particularly on like less high value projects to yeah. just try putting them out for free with a donate button and see how that you know statistically works out uh, right and if people are donating enough you know to keep going i would continue but um yeah, yeah. i mean this this could i feel like on kickstarter it wouldn't blow up in my face because i wouldn't release the files um, right. until the it's end an anyway. Right? Yeah, there, I would just a, lose some goodwill, but I think I would get enough, yeah. like this is an interesting photo story coverage that I would pick up right. <laughs> goodwill to so, cover it. You know, there's another thing that you're not talking about um, that I think is that this solves. And that is, um, I, like I'm talking about the Holga masks. The Holga masks for me to ship in the United States are four yeah. is four bucks. So I'm looking at, um, you can print them you know, for like a quarter a piece. Right. Yeah. If but, you have but, an hour. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, but the, but the, the deal is if, and, uh, and, I'm, and I've got something to follow this up with. So, um, but in order to get those to England, it's 25 bucks. In order to get them to the UK, it's $25. In order to get them to Australia, it's $25. That makes my, that makes our product or makes this product ridiculous. It, it's going to more than double the cost 
Um, cause I'm looking at selling uh, a set of six for 20 bucks and, and, you know, and then four bucks to the U S for shipping, not to mention carbon footprint. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So that makes total sense. Let's, let's talk a little bit of economics. If you at all have any tech in you, any tech brain in you and you do because you're listening to the homemade camera podcast right so you can build you can do all these types of things and and ender three right now is about 250 us um shipped with filament and ready to go to print one of these that's 150 bucks so 150 bucks plus whatever your the plans are to to print is going to be less than the 600 bucks for Ethan to put it together. You're doing such a good right. infomercial for me. So, yeah. Okay, sorry. So, yeah. okay, wait, but before before we do the infomercial, like really why uh, I wanted to talk about it today and like talk about it, you know, as, as a home field as we say, you know, like uh-huh. um, I feel like your your listeners, our listeners are um, you know, kind of kind of like uh, a, a lot of similar people. Um, uh-huh. but I, I wonder what what people think about it or if they might have a tweak on the model that, you know, I, I've talked to people about things like, um, you know, memory deleting G code servers and like technological solutions to, um, <laughs> okay. you know, sending, sending people a file without the ability to copy it. But like for, for every, um, you know, for every mousetrap, I could figure out a way, oh, to, you know, you could it's just, just an it. arms race. Yeah, it's an it'll be temporary and then they'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, which is just like it it means that kind of you just got to run on goodwill, whether it's there right. or not. And and that kind of like requires you to be like a celebrity, which, you know, like you guys used to be celebrities to me. But yeah, right. Um, I don't know that I want to be like, um, you know, on YouTube all the time. Like, yeah, what's up? let me show you a way to revolutionize the way you take pictures, you know, yeah. or <clears throat> how to make a million dollars with the Canon D five X seven. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think that's the way to do it. I, I would like to just make goodwill with good files <laughs> that other people. Right. Uh, right. Videos but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about it. Um, it's, it's interesting that like I've spent so much of this week thinking about uh, business problems instead of camera problems. Right. And, and entirely just trying to figure out how can I make it that I solve less business problems <laughs> and more camera problems. But um, right. I don't know. Rambling now. I have, I have a comment. I have a comment. Um, I think I've been using my mute button backwards because it shows up differently in different parts of my phone. But what I want to say is that that camera that you're talking about uh, putting out on Kickstarter for people to build for themselves, that's the very complicated X-Pan type panoramic camera. The version of it I really want, the, the version Mr. of the homunculus. I would, no, uh, what I want though is I want the, the uh, red window version rather than the mechanical version. So I really Ooh. want one with it's 35 millimeter film though. so that I can, oh, that's okay, right. So... That I, yeah, so I want the 120 red window version. 
That's okay. kind of the, that's the that's, panoramic camera. I would get all excited. That's what Nico. Wait, hold on. Hang on a second. Stop a second. I have that solution. I have that solution in the hold of a, uh, in the form of a Holga mask. So it gives a, a 24 by 56 uh, millimeter frame onto 120 film. You can get about uh, 24 of them on a on a single roll. So get one of those for me when I decide yeah. to get off my butt. Okay, I, I'll do that. But what the, what what I'm actually talking about is the you know yeah. six by seventeen um, oh, camera okay. that but that that uses a red window, so it's mechanically very simple um, to to yeah. do. Okay, a that's really big that's camera. basically a Camerodactyl OG, right? That that has a helix for um for a large format lens to do six by seventeen, which yeah yeah that's that's a very different camera. Um, right, but it's the one I would get the most excited about, personally, because okay, it's a yeah. big, so, big negative. And I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I am excited about building those cameras. Graham is already building those cameras. However, I happen to be sitting on a perfectly good design for an excellent camera that I've been using for a month and a half um, that yeah. I don't know how to sell, right? And so this, <laughs> this is the camera that I'm going to do this with. Um, sure, that's fine, but let's, let's just say... Yeah. It doesn't go as you hope. Like, let's say you can't get 12,000 cheapskates all day. Hold on. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, don't, no, don't you need to encourage him. Then try one of these other ideas. <laughs> yeah. No. Because yeah, no, you it's, want, want it's a to great concept. Him. Yeah. Well, so he can yeah. move on to the next camera. That's exactly. the whole point. Right. Is so he can move mm-hmm. on to the next camera and get out of the uh, print shop and get right. into the and, development and shop. People have actually uh, suggested to me that, like, um, I phrase it much more like a Kickstarter, which is like, I want to take the next month off, pay me 12 grand so I can give something to you. And if you do, I'll release these other things as goodwill, which, you know, I could phrase it like that ultimately mechanically and economically, it's the same model, right? But Uh emotionally it might come off different to people. And this is something I'm not good at, right? Again, I, um, I like how, you know, gears interact. I'm not an expert on how people (laughs) interact. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll try a couple versions of it. Um, maybe. So the way I'm the way I'm viewing it. So you're 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 being too much of a sociologist, okay? At the uh, from the other side of the computer screen, the person is saying, "Well, how much do I pay, and what do I get for it?" And if it's a camera I want, uh, yeah, I, I think people would pay bucks. And and le- and even if I don't own my own printer, I might just happily send the plans off to some you know reputable online supplier to get the parts very yes. expensive yeah. yeah but this camera see this is why i keep veering towards the simpler camera because you know but there know are already open source yeah. versions of simpler cameras right like i'm not going to make any money or any goodwill by like getting people to finance a pinhole camera no, no, but but no, but I'm still harping on the same one that I that it doesn't exist that I want and that your version of would be unique. It's not just yeah, I'd make a good version there, of it. Uh, right? I, yeah, it's not just is there yeah. one out there? Is it is it the one that is going to be oh that's going to be this familiar, interesting you know style and and functionality and so forth? Yeah, I will I will try. That's that is not in the top ten cameras as I have not started it yet. But it is mm-hmm. uh, in the top twenty on the Dream Camera Journal, right? And I think that getting away from having to print every single thing is a good idea. 
You need yeah. you need some yeah. other energy and time. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was watching this uh, inspirational video by, about the Joseph Pressa uh, about Joseph Pressa and like the Pressa uh, research or Pressa design company. Um, and one thing that he noted is that at 16 printers in his print farm, you know, now he's got like 80 billion printers, <laughs> nine floors of printers. Uh, but it, at some point he had uh, grown to 16 printers. And at that point he hired a full-time person to run those printers. Um, you know, I'm up over 12 now and it's, um, it's cool, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I am not about to start manufacturing at a huge scale, which is like me having, you know, a bunch of people here making things. It, it's still a really niche product, but I think I can leverage like people's sort of techiness to uh, download and, and build them themselves. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. And there's, there's all, there's stuff, there's ways to think about this. So in the old days, people would send away for plans for things like, you know, sure. a boat, like a sure. schooner or I know right, and, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I sent $25 to some lunatic for my own hang glider plans. And <laughs> I would be able to build really, really cheaply. And the plans arrived and it was to be made out of black poly plastic and bamboo and, and string. And luckily I was mature enough to realize that I would die if I built this thing <laughs> and jumped <laughs> off of a cliff with it. <laughs> but you know, somebody got 25 bucks for that. And, uh, and yeah. Then yeah. And so now you say to yourself, Oh, someone's going to steal it and it'll go on the, you know, the black web and people will be right. buying tamardactyl plans from, you know, from some scammer or whatever, but not, nah, nah, nah. This is a small group of people that are more interested right. in interacting if, and it's, that's part of the, the other side well, of the social well, okay, social okay. side this of this is, is that is, I don't want it. I don't want it to be a small group of people. Is this, this is the problem? Yeah. Uh, no, it's but it, it's a internet payment. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got it's got to break out to a certain extent. If you're, you know, if you're only getting uh, ten dollars per camera, twenty dollars per camera, it's got to be a large volume. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, but I think there's still a difference between are you participating in something or or, yeah. or not. Um, and there's there could be a way to sort of build that in, but it, it's not just about buying the plans and getting the parts. It's also, you know, about communicating with other people doing the same thing. And I, I don't know. I I'm not yeah. sure how to describe this, but I still think even if you're famous in the world of homemade cameras, I still don't <laughs> think it's that big of a group of people anyway, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's a parallel universe of people, you know, built stealing, building. I just don't know. I'm not sure, but I think there's a way to balance getting an income. Oh, I see what you're away. saying. You know, what Dora Goodman, for instance, her stuff is open source, but she's mm -hmm. still selling ready-made cameras and she's still sure. selling plans and she's doing. She's running all these things in parallel, and it looks to me like it's. Uh, must be successful to some extent. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, well, okay. Um, I I think that uh, I I think that that's something. Um, I think that that's something we'll look for. Um, uh, I support it. I think that that's a good idea. Um, and we should 
look for <clears throat> look forward to you giving it a try cool yeah <laughs> i'll let you know how it goes So Nick, do you have any uh, any shoutouts? Anything uh, you want to talk about? Uh, how's your time been in Tucson? Well, it's been great, um, but uh, I'm, I have to I get ready to take off now. So you may or may not hear from me again on this podcast. See you guys. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it I, seems I like I may not. <laughs> I, I think I put him on the spot. I thought he was uh, 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 able to do a little bit there, but okay. So, um, uh, Ethan, uh, who do you want to talk about? Um, I have been spending some time with Joe Van Cleve, who is like, um, internet famous to me for the last few years. Um, but I actually, funny story, (laughs) a long story. Um, I realized that he lived in Albuquerque from one of his videos. And, um, then like the next day, actually through Heather, uh, O'Kloss, um, I met, uh, Astro Beck who introduced me to Joe Van Cleve like the next week. Anyway, um, he and I are into a lot of things, uh, that are similar, like, uh, camera building and the direct, uh, direct positive reversal process, as well as, uh, lighter than air travel and the books of John McPhee. Um, so he, he's come over a couple of times and made like, vlogs around um my shop which if you were a member or a member of our facebook group uh, you've probably seen or um you know if, if you listen this deep <laughs> if you listen two hours into this podcast yeah uh for sure you've seen it but if not uh his name is joe van cleave c-l-e-a-v-e and we'll, we'll put some links in the bottom but he's made a couple videos over here which is um it's been really fun it's been fun to hang out and like fun to be on youtube videos uh yeah. <laughs> even even at a very little amount of fame but um yeah he's really sort of um interestingly quick at making um mostly interesting content although he makes a lot of typewriter videos which I'm sure we have a lot of typewriter fans amongst the people who listen to this podcast, but it's I used not, to be. not my bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe you'll go down that wormhole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like typewriters. I actually own one. I have a, a, a little rant that I go on uh, when my students try to use typewriter fonts. Mm-hmm. Um, I say, if you want it to look like a typewriter, here's a typewriter. And then I hold up a typewriter. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I have some definite opinions about that. So anyway, um, so cool. And, um, I, I've watched, uh, several of the videos that he's done with you. Um, and I've watched several of his other videos and, uh, and yeah, we should, we should work, uh, towards getting him on the show. Yeah. Uh, that. Yeah. Uh, I would guess, I would guess that you have an in. Yeah, yeah. probably. Probably. So. Um, I want to do uh, any other shout outs, anything else that you wanted to, wanted to do, wanted to say. Uh, to I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. Uh, 
the uh, um, I uh, wanted to uh, make note of uh, the podcast uh, of another podcast because of a discussion that they went through. Um, it is a uh, classic lenses podcast and it is episode 93 and it happens about, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, 40% of the way through and it's Johnny and Perry and they are talking about the work of Johnny's um uh, I guess mentor, uh, a photographic mentor, a woman named Barbara Crane, who has recently passed away. And um, the uh, and there are links. If you go to classiclensespodcast.com um, and you uh, click on episode 93, it's called uh, Listener Emails Eventually, uh, because they they talk for a long time before they get to listener emails. They talk about the idea of presenting work in an order, um, in a, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, work, presenting pictures um, in a as way. As a story, perhaps. As a story, sure, absolutely. In pairs and as stories. And then they started talking about Johnny Sisson's um, Instagram feed. If you guys follow him now, um, he's uh, if you look at his Instagram feed, his pictures are presented in three. So if you look at it in the grid view, you'll see that the pictures are presented as a group as opposed to it being one picture, one picture, one picture. Now, it is also, you know, the the single pictures stand alone uh, as single pictures, but they are also presented as a group. And um, uh, one of the other things uh, that I wanted to talk about um, is they talked about the um, the the Barbara Crane's, um, Johnny's mentors, um, concept of shooting a full roll of film and presenting a full roll of film. And it's a it's just several pictures called Whole Roll. And if you go to their website and probably in the show notes as well, um, there is a link to that. And that is very much similar to what uh, I presented a, a zine earlier in the year. It was an electronic zine called One Roll. And then um, while talking with um, uh, Dominic Silverthorne, um, we... Uh, we talked about the whole idea of doing it completely blind where one person shoots the role and another person develops it and puts it together in a zine. So you don't even have design control over that type of thing. So, uh, so we did that and Dom has his zine. I don't know whether he's made it public yet. Uh, I'm going to leave that up to him to do that. But um, it, it is very much this a similar concept. And um, I think it is a direction that I'm very interested in continuing. Um, and uh, it, it's the idea of seeing not individual photos, but seeing collections of images and working with those collections of images 
as collections as opposed to as individual photos. So um, that was something that was that spoke to me very, very, uh, very, very clearly. Um, and so I don't know whether that'll speak to anybody else, but it really definitely spoke to me. So anyway, I shout out to them. So um, uh, any books or anything? I don't know if Nick's still with us. But uh, you, uh, do oh, you have sorry, a book? I was on mute. Um, yeah. No, I do not have a book. Okay. And I think Nick is gone. Um, and um, I am, uh, I will not say um, anything about a book, but I will say there are resources for G code, M codes that you can put into your uh, printer and do things like run uh, PID tuning and stuff like that so those are out there uh look up um m, m code is it rep wrap is that the um the overall technology um uh, uh, wrap or is it uh, okay okay yeah. so uh, oh no uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going yeah you're, you're doing I'm a lot of mixing on. mixing of labels here but uh uh, PID is proportional integral derivative, and that's a style of weighting. Um, generally, things like temperature control or environmental controls, or okay. any any sort of control, right? PID auto tune is a function that you can have your printer do to heat and cool uh, the hot end and the bed and. Uh, maybe it's just for the hot. I think it's the hot end and the bed, and then yeah, hot end and resistance bed. Yep. measurements from the thermistors to create a profile of when to switch them on and when to switch them off to keep the uh, keep the temperatures as constant as possible. To do that, you may have to replace your uh, firmware on the printer, which uh, would be uh, so that the printer. The open source project for the printer is RepRap, um, and the software that runs on the printer is generally some version of Marlin. And so Marlin will uh, allow you to, you know, change variables from PID Auto Tune to uh, change your, uh, your your mapping of your thermistors and your um, heater cartridges or or hotbeds. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's out there. It's out there. Read, read, learn more. Uh, know your machinery is, uh, is kind of what I'm trying to say. Uh, not that I have any clue, um, but uh, there are help desks. And here's something, you know, it, it kind of amazes me. Once again, I'm going to talk about my students. One of the things that amazes me is students will say, um, uh, there was something wrong. And I'll say, well, what was wrong? And they said, I don't know. I got an error message. You what can put error any message? error message in the world into Google and you will find a hundred solutions. It may not be the right solution, but you'll find a hundred solutions. So, uh, so yeah, use that. Do that. So, all right. Um, you can get a hold of us. Um, Neith, Nathan, yeah, <laughs> that was Nick and Ethan in one word. Um, Nick, Ethan, Graham at homemadecamera.com. Those are our emails. Um, you can find Nick 
uh, Avi Nick, A-V-Y-N-I-C-K, on Instagram and um, – oh, and on Flickr, he is just Nick Lyle. Um, on uh, Instagram, you can find me as Graham Homemade Camera. On Flickr, you can find me as um, uh, Freezer of Photons, all one word. And um, – Ethan, how do people find you? They Check find me out on YouTube. I'm yeah. At- <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, Camerdactyl on YouTube. Camerdactyl on Instagram. Are you on Flickr? Uh, yeah, but just a lurker. I read what Nick posts. <laughs> okay. That, that's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> is nick actually he here came out uh-huh. yeah yeah well yeah he just came out of there there okay that's right so i'm glad that we didn't say anything bad about him uh, <laughs> that guy I, but i but we have missed an opportunity to say something bad about him to have him here so maybe we can tell some lay some truth on him um well so so oh go ahead so i just had a, a thought while i was uh-huh. muted um and you were uh Ethan's many alternative experimental business models. And there's another way to approach this that I haven't figured out exactly how yet, but there ought to be a subscription model that would work for some of these ideas, where instead of somebody paying you for your design work in the past, uh, they subscribe to your ongoing publication of, you know, explaining what you do or how to do something oh. or whatever. You know, that's the, the kind of missing link for a lot of this kind of thing. Wow. You know, so, yeah. Book, you know, it's sort of the book club idea, the book of the month idea. Yeah. So you would be uh, you would be buying, a, you know, a new design every couple of months or whatever, the, you know, whatever was coming out, as long as you wanted to subscribe. Uh-huh. You'd be the you'd get the first look, of course. Yeah, and then, you know, eventually, I think they do that eventually on... it would seep out into the everybody yeah. has it on the Internet. But it, but you would be first first in line that way. I, I feel awkward about it for a number of reasons, but I think that's model that like uh, famous people do on Patreon, right? Yeah, um, right. But you need to be kind of famous for that to work out. It's yeah. you know unreasonable yeah. to make twenty even, bucks a month. Even famous people start out as an embryo, so uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well it, it yeah, that might be step two. That might be phase two step in two, your step, uh, step one, become famous. Step two Make your money selling plastic cameras. <laughs> there we go. Ah, uh, yes. Or yeah, okay. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, uh, we want to thank Robbie because Robbie's gonna gonna play out. He's he's got some uh, really cool music, and you can find him at Soundtrap Studios. Thanks, Robbie. Mm-hmm.